Welcome to Daily PBJ Devotionals for today. If you're reading the Old Testament according to schedule, read Genesis 33, Esther 9 and 10, and Psalm 22. This devotional is about Esther, chapters 9 and 10. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the king's command and edict were to be executed. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but their plan was overturned, and the Jews overpowered those who hated them. In each of the provinces of King Xerxes, the Jews assembled in their cities to attack those who sought to harm them. No men could withstand them, because the fear of them had fallen upon all peoples. And all the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators, helped the Jews, because the fear of Mordecai had fallen upon them. For Mordecai exercised great power in the palace, and his fame spread throughout the provinces as he became more and more powerful. The Jews put all their enemies to the sword, killing and destroying them, and they did as they pleased to those who hated them. In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, including Parshandatha, Dalphon, Espatha, Poratha, Adaliah, Iridatha, Parmishta, Irisai, Iridai, and Vizatha. They killed these ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. On that day, the number of those killed in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king, who said to Queen Esther, In the citadel of Susa, the Jews have killed and destroyed five hundred men, including Haman's ten sons. What have they done in the rest of the royal provinces? Now what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what further do you request? It will be fulfilled. Esther replied, If it pleases the king... May the Jews in Susa also have tomorrow to carry out today's edict, and may the bodies of Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded that this be done. An edict was issued in Susa, and they hanged the ten sons of Haman. On the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, the Jews in Susa came together again and put to death three hundred men there, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. The rest of the Jews in the royal provinces also assembled to defend themselves and rid themselves of their enemies. They killed 75,000 who hated them, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. This was done on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested, making it a day of feasting and joy. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th days of the month, So they rested on the fifteenth day, making it a day of feasting and joy. This is why the rural Jews, who live in the villages, observe the fourteenth day of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting. It is a holiday for sending gifts to one another. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to all the Jews in all the provinces of King Xerxes, both near and far, to establish among them an annual celebration on the fourteenth and fifteenth days of the month of Adar, as the days on which the Jews gained rest from their enemies, and the month in which their sorrow turned to joy and their mourning into a holiday. He wrote that these were to be days of feasting and joy, of sending gifts to one another and to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the custom they had started, as Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast the pur, that is, the lot, to crush and destroy them. 
But when it came before the king, he commanded by letter that the wicked scheme which Haman had devised against the Jews should come back upon his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore these days are called Purim, from the word Pur. Because of all the instructions in this letter, and because of all they had seen and experienced, the Jews bound themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should not fail to celebrate these two days as the appointed time each and every year, according to their regulation. These days should be remembered and celebrated by every generation, family, province, and city, so that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews, nor should the memory of them fade from their descendants. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters with words of peace and truth to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Xerxes, in order to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time, just as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had established them and had committed themselves and their descendants to the times of fasting and lamentation. So Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, which were written into the record. Now King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the land, even to its farthest shores, and all of Mordecai's powerful and magnificent accomplishments, together with the full account of the greatness to which the king had raised him. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and highly favored by his many kinsmen, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. This is God's word. There are good, godly men who don't believe that God cares about Israel as a nation any longer. They believe that God's promises to Israel have been fulfilled in Christ and in the church. The Jews that exist today, then, are just like any other nation of people on earth. There are some who are elect and will trust Christ by faith to become part of the church, just as in every other nation. But to those who believe that the church has replaced Israel, there is nothing special about national Israel any longer. I do not believe that. I believe that God's covenant with Abraham remains, and that there are many promises he made to Israel that have not yet been fulfilled. Those promises will be fulfilled by Christ, and when they are, then Christians and Jewish believers will be united as one people of God in eternity. One reason I believe this is that the Jewish people still exist with their ethnic identity intact. Throughout human history, there have been repeated efforts to extinguish the existence of Jews as a nation. You are aware of Hitler's attempts to destroy the Jews, and that they have enemies today, such as the PLO, who want to wipe them out as well. But these modern threats are only the latest. Here in Esther, we've been reading about how Haman wanted to eradicate the Jews from the earth. Yet, in God's sovereign will, he placed Mordecai and Esther in Xerxes' palace to thwart Haman's genocidal intentions. What's so interesting about the book of Esther is that God's name is not mentioned at all in it, not once, in any form. And Esther became queen through immorality, according to chapter 2, and neither she nor Mordecai are portrayed as believers in Yahweh or adherents to Judaism as a faith. 
The closest reference we have in Esther to God or faith is when Esther asked the Jews in Susa to fast for me and said, I and my attendants will fast as you do. That's Esther chapter 4, verses 15 through 16 in the NIV. But that's it. Just that reference to fasting is all we get. She doesn't even mention prayer with this fasting, just the fasting. It may be true, and likely is actually, that Esther and Mordecai were believers in Yahweh. But the author of Esther does not say so, or detail for us what their walk with God was like. The purpose of this book of Esther is not to laud these two people for their faith, but to show how God was faithful to his covenant, regardless of whether or not any of the Jews were faithful to him. This book of Esther also shows us how God works sovereignly. There is not one miracle described in this book, nor is there any divine revelation to help out the main characters. In the book of Esther, people acted rationally, with intention and in fear, at times, without any divine intervention or even any overt acknowledgement to God. And yet God still worked in their everyday lives to save his people from being extinguished. God may not be mentioned directly in the book of Esther, but his faithfulness to his covenant and his care for his people are demonstrated on every page. Israel today lives in unbelief. There are Jews, of course, who have embraced Christ as Messiah and have become Christians like we are. But the nation we call Israel was politically created and is one of the more progressive in the moral sense, in other words, one of the more liberal nations on earth. Yet just as God protected and cared for his people in Esther, regardless of their faith or lack of faith in him, God is still preserving his people Israel and watching over them. There will come a day when they will turn to Christ in faith, and you can see Romans 11 and most of the book of Revelation for that. Those Jews who die before that day will perish in hell, just like any other person who does not submit to Christ in faith. But God is faithful and will make good on his promise to Abraham, David, and others. For us, the lesson of Esther is to trust God. Things around us may look good at times. At other times, they may look bleak. But God has ways of accomplishing his will, even through unbelievers. And he will do it. So hope and trust in God, not in people, governments, programs, or anything else. And I'll see you next time. May God bless you. Hope you have a great day.